You're listening to the Entrepreneur Podcast from the Western Morissette Institute for Entrepreneurship, powered by Ivy. My name is Eric Morris, and I'll be the host for this session. For Rick Sintrenbaum, an entrepreneur life can feel like a game of snakes and ladders, yet rolling the dice doesn't have to be a game of chance. Through years of hard work and hustle, Sintrenbaum has built a diverse and innovative career in the fashion space, where he has developed footwear for New Balance, co-founded House of Harlow 1960 with Nicole Ritchie, worked with celebrities like Kanye West and Heidi Klum, and owned multiple brands like Modern Vintage, Champion, and Kendall and Kylie. He was also an influential player in the rise of the direct-to-consumer model that brought a wide range of celebrities into the fashion industry. Sintrenbaum joins me to share various aspects of his journey, from finding the white space in an industry and cultivating one's gut feel, to the critical role failure plays in the life of an entrepreneur. Direct-to-consumer, maybe just explain what is that and, and why was it different and new kind of in those early days? Well, I mean, I think, I think what happened in the apparel space or in any sort of fashion business in the last, you know, 50, 60 years was everything was curated by a handful of stores. So, you know, you, you, your whole life in regards to fashion, marketing, uh, design, creative was all curated by, you know, a certain number of people. So let's just say you go to the U.S., you, you, you know, you'd walk into, you'd walk by the Bloomingdale store and you'd see in the window, they'd be showing, you know, pink dresses or they'd be showing, you know, yellow and it'd all be curated by their vision of what they're doing. The same way the movie business was being curated by, you know, Universal Pictures, you know, Sony and so on. You know, they chose the people that would be the celebrity and then say, oh, we're going to promote you, market you, and then literally put you into a movie. And then if you're a designer... If Bloomingdale's, you know, if you ever see that Halston movie, you know, how they went to Bergdorf Goodman, and if Bergdorf Goodman would be the one that would actually, you know, present you, they would be the ones that be like the, the, the front page of the magazine for the consumer to see it. I think in the last 10 years or 15 years, based on internet and, you know, social media and so on and so forth, every single person in this room here is a curator of their own business, of their own life. So a direct-to-consumer model allows... Anybody that's in the industry today or anybody that's sitting here today to be able to speak directly to the consumer without a middleman involved, i.e. the retailer. That's the, the concept of direct-to-consumer. Fashion was the first part of direct-to-consumer just based on the fact that fashion is such a, um, um, I don't want to say it, fashion is such a um, emotional purchase that it was the fastest thing to be able to attain traction in direct-to-consumer just based on the fact that it was an emotional purchase. So as opposed to going into a store that's curated, if someone else who has social influence, who has, you know, is able to attract or get to you, then you'd be able to say, oh, wow, I can speak directly with that person. That's why, you know, social media and then, you know, switching into direct-to-consumer based on social media has become such an important part. You yeah, know, and just really cool. It, yeah. You, but you added to that. I mean, there, you used influencers, celebrities. And yeah. you're a you know, kid from Western, BA96. How, how did that happen? How did you reach out to those folks? How did you get involved? I mean, I, I got involved, I mean, just you know, sheer, sheer grind. I, 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 came from the, I came from the real, the real, if I had to say it, like the real hustler mentality, um, coming out of school, um, I wasn't given, I don't want to say I wasn't given very much, but I, I aspired in my life to, to, to take my business and take myself. Uh, once I came to Western, to be very, you know, 
truthful, I came to Western and I saw the ability of who, who was at Western. I was living in Montreal prior and then coming to Western and seeing international students and then, you know, visiting Vancouver with some friends the first time and then coming to Toronto more often and having that more experience. I, I believe that this was for me what I always wanted, you know, I wanted to, to grow myself. And I think that I had a gorilla sort of a type approach um, differently than in today's model to, 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 to do that. Okay. And so when you made those connections, uh, you know, going into business with some of those folks, was that an easy decision for you? Is that, was that part of a plan or did it all kind of just work out? You know, it definitely wasn't a plan and it's really difficult to plan. I think, I think what happened to me, um, which was actually really good, is that in 2000, when I started my business, um, I sold my first business in 2006. So when I sold my, 2007, so when I sold my first business in 2007, so I'm born in 75, so um, you know, I was probably in my you know, late you know, 30s, early 30s, whatever. At the end of the day, for me, I made such an enormous amount of money that for me, what, what happened that was successful for me is I was able to then take that money and then go into different businesses and try different things and get involved in sort of different aspects of it and you know, work with other friends that were in, in a different business and invest with them and sort of create that. That, that sort of structure. Um, but the first one was like pure hustle. I mean, I worked, uh, you know, 300 days straight. I was running, doing weekends, everything. My, my priority was, my, I mean, it's, it's, it was a bad mixture, um, but it was, uh, my, pro, my priority was, um, was success. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it was not, it uh, yeah, full grind. Just full grind, just gotta just so grind through it. Lots of success in the, in the fashion industry, makeup as well. Yeah, I mean, we found, you know, I, I figured out different niches. So when you talk to someone, like, you know, I always took the meeting. You know, the funniest thing is that, you know, you call these different, you know, anybody here wants to call up a business, wants to go meet, as you said before, wants to go meet a company that's doing something. Maybe you can sell them something. Maybe you can be involved with them. Like the most, the, the worst businessmen are the one who are like, I'm busy, you know, I'll make an appointment. I'll give you an appointment in three months or I have no time for you. Like the actual time to not spend learning from other people or trying to get, you know, that's what I would do. So I would push my way through and then I'd figure out, you know, what that guy was thinking about and I'd figure out my way to, to do something with them if that's the structure that I wanted to, uh, to do at the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and you, you've talked about it uh, in the past, just the importance of listening. You know, can you talk about how that helped in making those connections perhaps? Because, you know, as you want to make the connection, so let's say, let's say you go and you want to meet, you meet someone and, you know, you want to know what they're all about and you want to know, hey, how can I connect with them? So you, you're not going to look through a crystal ball that doesn't work. You're not going to sit there and just keep talking about yourself or keep talking about what you do to understand what they want. But if you sit there and you flip the script and you put it onto them, um, I always believe in, in putting it onto someone else saying, hey, just tell me a little bit about yourself. I'd love to know more about what you're up to, what you're doing. Just tell me you're not so smart and I want to understand everything, you know? And they would always sit and they'd be like, well, you know, I started my business and they would go through the process. And then as they're going through certain things, I'd say, Oh, wait a second. Oh, so you make sunglasses? Oh, yeah, I own, a, I own Marchand, which is a, not me, but the other gentleman. I own Marchand. We're you know, a large Italian manufacturer. So I'm, hmm. So I work with Nicole Ritchie, and Nicole does glasses like this, like this. Why don't we manufacture them together? You know what I'm saying? And, or I offer the guy something, and then in turn he responds and says, oh, I can help you. So it's sort of a wash your hand, wash your back of, some, of somebody else. But, uh, you know, that, that, that's listening, listening, and listening to understand and then figuring out within that, listening, like what that white space is or what that opportunity costs or what that spot is that you can wiggle your way in. Yeah. Um, 
It's know? really hard to find opportunity when you're talking all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Super <laughs> true. I agree. Super I agree. true. Especially as an entrepreneur. And everybody as an entrepreneur wants to be spoken, wants to speak out. Everybody here for sure wants to overspeak, overtalk, and tell everybody how amazing their product is, what they're doing, and the whole nine yards, which conceptually doesn't always work. It actually works against you, but we don't know that till later on in life. You know, so. Yeah, cool. Rick, I, I know you're a serial entrepreneur, and um, I've heard you talk about failure in the past. It's a lot like Michael Jordan. Yeah, He's made a lot of clutch game-winning shots, yeah. but he missed 10 times yeah. as many. What, do you, what is it you learn from failure? And, and maybe share one or two, if, if you would. Yeah, I mean, you know, failures... Um, you know, I guess failure, failure comes from different ways. I mean, it comes from the ego. Um, it comes from acting too quick, moving too slow. I mean, there's, there's this like right balance between like, and I always believe fully like going with your gut. So if you go with your gut, your gut's never gonna, you know, never gonna sort of lead you in a wrong direction. But I mean, failures, um, you know, really frame the person. I think that there's such a framing that has to happen in failure that if, if everything is success and everything's success, you don't really understand how to like, you know, balance yourself or at least understand the balance. And it also doesn't make you think that, you know, what you're doing could be right, could be wrong, think of it different ways. So the failure structure for me actually allows you to sort of like rethink, rethink, you know, it allows you to have empathy for other people. It allows you to have gratitude to understand sort of what you have. And it sort of sets a new bar for yourself personally to not know that everything that you're doing is, is going to work. So I think there's a, I love, I love a good, I, love, I mean, I've had so many, so many, crazy failures, you know, but, um, you know, trying to, you know, build something that was completely unique. I, I had a, I mean, I, I created this, this idea when I was, came out of Western, whatever, which was a, a baby carrying seat. Yeah. I had a baby seat. So, so I was walking in Tokyo, Japan, literally I was walking in Tokyo, Japan, and I saw this thing that I'm like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever, which was like a belt that you wear, which has like a little seat. And then you pick up your, and you're walking with it. I'll just get upset. So you walk along <laughs> and you can actually put on the belt and there's like a little mini seat. So you okay. pick up your, your, your kid and instead of holding onto your, your kid like this the whole time, yeah. I'm not wearing a baby Bjorn, but you, you'd put the baby on the seat and all the weight of the kid would sit on the structure of your waist. Yeah. So I realized that's really cool. So I went like hardcore on it. You know what I mean? I went, you know, I got Angelina Jolie to wear it when she had her first baby with Shiloh. I mean, I had everything. And then I was like, the one mother lets the hand off the kid, the kid falls off, business is zero. You know what I mean? Like, so you start to realize how could there be a failure? What mother's gonna let go of their children? But like no retailer actually believed in it. And this is pre-direct to consumer because that would have been successful at D2C. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't, I, I literally went so many times like bye bye baby, I mean all these different places to try and get it done and, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. And I just burned a, a ton of money. The idea conceptually was very cool, um, but it didn't work. And my, and my other big failure, or semi-failure was we created a magnetic, um, I thought I was gonna laugh, a magnetic shoe closing system. So I invented an idea with neodymium sort of magnets, which when you put your shoe on and it sort of clicks the shoe together and your laces you can adjust and it's done through these like small little magnets that are very hard to okay. see, which are super cool. <laughs> no, it, it actually, we, we, it was called Zubits. We actually got like, we went, we did like a, your daughter is laughing. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> we, 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 did, we did a Kickstarter campaign. We got like 700 grand. Like everybody was buying it. It was nice. amazing. And it, and it worked. It was just, as you walked, like you'd have like quarters on your foot and you'd have like random metal things <laughs> walking around everywhere on your shoe. It, it was the coolest idea. I actually went to a, a, a Reebok and I sat with them and I showed them that they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. 
I just couldn't get the cost down and people just couldn't handle having like metal things like flung to their, flung to their shoe. So anyway, so great idea. It was like, a, it was like an easy way, like laces that were rubberized but, or, or, or elasticized, but it, it didn't work. Anyway, so those are my... Uh, oh, those are great. Yeah, yeah great example. Those are two funny... I still have Zubits in my office if anybody <laughs> wants some Zubits. <laughs> well, maybe one more question then we'll turn it to the groups. So you guys be thinking of some questions, but uh, you know, if, if you had one or two things for uh, all these young people coming out of university to be thinking about that, that, that want an entrepreneurial career, you know, one or two pieces of advice you might share with them. I mean, my, my opinion is that the real, the real, um, the real advice is, you know, I always advise to go into an industry that you that you know well. If you understand the industry, you understand the space, then you can navigate through. There's nothing worse than actually trying to be an entrepreneur, going into an industry that you don't really know, you know, the industry so well, and trying to like disrupt that industry. You know what I mean? I look at I look at a friend of my, you know, my friend Michelle Romano. Like when 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 she gets into a business, you know, she's so specific on the kind of what she looks at or what the actual model is to be able to grow. So I I, I truly believe like the main thing for entrepreneurs is to understand the space. And if you don't understand the space, get a mentor to work with you yeah. and sort of help you through that space, through that process to understand the different sort of permutations and combinations that need to sort of have to happen within that space. Any questions from the, from the group uh, for Rick? Yeah. Okay, so going back to your uh, first business, yeah, right before that, were there any people, professors, organizations that really changed the way that you operate? Like uh, you kind of looked at them and took what they did can we broaden it to mentors as well? Yep. Yeah. Um, sure. I mean, of course. I mean, in part of my whole life, I mean, I think every week I try and, you know, meet with someone or talk to someone. I mean, I had some great high school professors that were, uh, that were great. I had some great university professors that were fantastic. Went to law school after university, so definitely had some, um, some people in that space as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think, you know, once I found the industry, I guess what I would do is I would find, sort of find the industry that I would like, like let's say in the apparel space. You know, the apparel space, one of the largest apparel guys in, 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 in Canada or the world is Lawrence Stroll. So for me, you know, owns Michael Kors, owned Michael Kors, owns Aston Martin today, um, lived right around the corner from me. So for me, you know, spending time with him, we're going to learn from him, we're going to learn from people in the industry to, to mentorships to really um, shape my understanding of the market and give me ideas and, and, and conceptualize ideas that were, let's say, different than, than the way I would look at things. Because, you know, I, I you know, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a business leader, or as a business owner, not a leader, but as a business owner, you know, I, I look at everything sort of laser focused in one way. And sometimes that's a really good positive and also a, quite a big negative between yeah. the two. So the, the best is to sort of be all around and, and realize what your limitations are. For me, I know fully what my limitations are. So I know that if I'm going to build a business, that if I don't have a certain structure or a team that I can hire or work around, you know, it's more, uh, more difficult. Yeah, cool. Next question. How do you figure out how to create a business structure at the start? How do you figure out who the partners are? Mm -hmm. How to split the partnership and the ownership within it? Mm -hmm. And how do you resolve conflict between that? Game of darts. Start with an easy one. <laughs> just put a board up and just float. Um, I mean, I. I, I happen to be quite lucky that I'm only like I've, I've only out of my seven businesses I've only been in the two my two my, my latest businesses that has been with a bunch of partners, but um, most of them have been with a single partner, right? Yeah, I mean, or myself. I mean, I, I would say 
the most important thing in any partnership is full communication. And I think that's the most important thing. But, you know, resolving conflict, on a, there's two parts of conflict, like day-to-day -day conflicts about the actual operations of the industry, or like, I hate you as a partner, and I need to get you out <laughs> of my deal, and I want you to leave. Like, those are two very distinct differences. So the second one, I would say, have an amazing lawyer structure, shotgun, you know, a million different clauses that you can exit if you have to exit or figure out what that is. Um, if it's interday conflict or whatever it is, it, it's just either bring in mediation or, or just, just be very transparent in your conversations to understand. That, that's the hard part. So there's positives to having a partner. You share the risk, you share the reward, you share whatever, but there's also that inner community conflict that could be a little bit difficult. But, you know, saying, if, you know, just, just always go through with integrity. You know, that, that's the most important thing. Shady people just don't, just, they just don't work over time, you know, unfortunately. For sure. Yeah. Nicole? Have I missed part of what you asked or no? If I did, just no, so you no, re-ask. No, so no, go, go. I, I lose track pretty fast. Well, so. well, even like just like the two of us are working together and we, we chat about this with our friends. And the two of you work together? Yes. Oh, okay. And, uh, no, 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 no. So shady. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, but like, we, we, we've got this idea. Yeah. And we talk about it with our friends. Yeah. Our friends are like, we want to be involved. Yeah. How do you figure out who should be involved? Like, probably mm -hmm. the two of us that are at the forefront of it, but. Yeah. How do you simple, simple. I mean, right it, 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 the way I look at it is like it's simple. So to, you have to look at the six fundamentals of, of starting the business. So one is like, you know, purpose, cause, um, you know, all the different sort of permutations of starting the business. Now, the question is like, do you have cash? Do you don't have money? Like, you know, do you bring in a partner because they're a cash partner? Like, you have to understand, like, when, when, I, when I look at the pizza, like, I say this all the time. When you look at the pizza, like you're not making a pizza of just dough, you're not making a pizza of just cheese, you're making it with different ingredients. So you have to understand sort of what those ingredients are, what do you bring to the table, what do you bring to the table, what does your partner bring to the table, and what are you missing? You have to be very honest about those things that you're missing. Because if you think that you're everything to everybody, which most of you guys probably do in some way, like, you know, I can, I can excuse me, I can do it 100%, I know what I'm doing, I'm, but realistically, Sometimes you need a little bit of that help. So the, when you're choosing a partner or whatever, it's, it's, if you have a few friends, it's like, well, what, what do you do? What are you thinking? Sort of like, especially if they're friends, you can also go back and understand like where they came from, what their, you know, how they grew up or what they learned or what was their job structure. I delivered newspapers when I was nine years old till I was 14, every morning before school started. So I figured out like, not only did I figure out how to, how to sell newspapers, my brother and I, every day with our wagons, but we also figured out like how to sub it out to like six other people in the neighborhood too and also then get, you know, a royalty based on top. You know, there's different ways of doing it. So it's really about partnering with someone who can actually make you greater than what you are today, but understanding what your limitations of greatness are, in my opinion. Good luck, guys. Don't fight. <laughs> uh, in the very back, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think, I think there's, two, there's two schools of thought on that. Um, I have a very specific school of thought on that. So most people sit down, they run performas, and they'll you know, go through market structure and you know, market cap and figure out what, they're, you know, what it is. And you know, I, I always look at it like, listen, you know, look at the overall, whatever, the, whatever business it is, look at the overall market that you're in. So whether it was like you know, cosmetics or cannabis or selling of chairs, whatever it is, look, look at the, and once you understand that there's a market, like, 
You just have to go with your gut and just roll with it. Meaning there, there's no, you, if you sit down and like, I have friends of mine that a year later after talking about their startup and their idea are still like, you know, my financials aren't perfect. And, you know, I'm like, I can say openly, like I've done, you know, many financials and, you know, many different performas and, and, and uh, future projections and stuff. I mean, it means zero because conceptually it doesn't, you don't really know what's going to happen between today and next Friday, let alone be able to map out two years that in two years I'll sell whatever. So it really comes, as I say, innately from your gut. You know, in apparel, different, like in one of the industries, there's a lot of competitors and some, in some markets, there's no competitors. So there's positive and negatives to that. So if you're alone and you have to roll with no competitors, you have to sort of figure out your own path. Whereas you're, if you're alone and there's a lot of competitors, you can use them as guides. So their businesses as guides. So there, there's different ways, there's different ways of doing it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, um, so Rick, what I say, yeah. you, when, when you're looking at a market, you, you, you would convince yourself that the market's big enough here that if I get it right, there's enough of a return. Yeah, you, you, that's ha enough. you have to have a little bit of that grade, a little bit of like that elasticity, because if you don't have that elasticity, you don't have it. No business is going to sit down and fit in your box. I mean, yeah. realistically, I mean, I started off in the footwear business 20 odd years ago. I mean, that was not exactly, you know, what I thought that I would, would be my first, my first business to make, you know, super dress shoes and whatever. But that, that was kind of the first business because it fell into a market. I analyzed the market. I said, wow, here's a market. Here's this. Imagine if we made this at this price and I found someone that can do that. Huh. I mean, this is just to give you an example. This is before Michael, Michael Kors or Michael Kors, like very similar business. I mean, to what I had, you know, to figure out that is sort of affordable luxury yeah. and where, where does that sit? You know, how does that sit? So I knew the market. Did I know anything more than that? No, I just knew my gut was good. I rolled the dice and then slowly, you know, kept reading about it and figuring out my yellow brick road until you figure it out. <laughs> Hopefully every time you get to a, a scarecrow or a tin man, you, you, you kind of like have enough of, an, of a system around you, of friends, people, whatever, that can help you navigate through that specific spot, which is, um, which is difficult sometimes. But that's, that's, yeah. Perfect, perfect. Any other questions at the back? Yeah, Dale, Joe. Um, Sorry. Can you talk a little bit about uh, operating from Canada but having success business-wise in the US? Um, yeah, so, um, yeah. I um, have homes in the US and I buy a flight pass. No, um, I, I mean, being in Canada-based, it's, uh, I would say it's almost some, somewhat of an advantage in some way because it allows you to like come into the U come into different you know states or province states in the U.S. Um, and um, understand the market, figure it out, work for business, and then actually leave. Um, I, I haven't had an issue with that at all. Luckily, I have good partners in the U.S., but I, I haven't had an issue. I, I, I chose Canada just because of, of kind of where where I live and the fact that I love living in Canada. But um, I mean, I don't have any, you know, there's, there's no negative, there's no negative work being, living in Canada and working in the U.S., if that was the question. And there's no, there's no negativity to it. I enjoy it very much because I love, I love the travel. I love the knowledge. I love to learn from other people. I like to hear what everybody else is kind of doing, whether it's on a vacation or somewhere. It gives you like sort of a global perspective, whether it's in Europe, um, you know, or, or, in, or in the U.S., gives you sort of a wider variety of, of, and the more that you travel to meet with clients or people in those different states or cities, start to see the way different people live and it maybe adds to the, adds to the overall function of your, of your life based in Canada. But Canada living here is, is a full and utter uh, choice for me. Mm -hmm. Any, yeah. Uh, do you have a particular framework or process that you go about for developing a conceptual framework of an industry? Do you have any tips in regards to that? 
yeah, so, you know, I do. I have about four people that I work with um, that work for me, not, not, not partners, um, that are kind of like, you know, guys that I bounce all my ideas off of. And like two of them are like one of my, two of my really good friends, and two of them are, one of, one of my creative director, and one's a, a, another good friend of mine lives in Maryland. And uh, yeah, my, my whole process is like, you know, <laughs> sounds crazy. I'm like, dude, let's just all get together for four days, and I just want to talk about what the hell we're up to, and just talk, talk, talk until we come to a solution. So there's no real, as an entrepreneur, there's no real, I don't want to use algorithm, there's no real structure on like, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 I'm going to, you know, and follow any kind of guidelines. But my guidelines are, you know, identify the issue and is the market big? If it is, okay, great. I love that. So I'll figure out the middle, like slowly, kind of like the white part of the Oreo between the two sides. So it's like, I look and I say, okay, I love this industry. And then I say, wow, the industry is really big and it doesn't really have this. And then I'll kind of like slowly take the walls and bring them in, where a lot of people will sit and conceptualize and idealize from the top to understand the market, make sure they feel very good about it before they jump in. I'll always make sure that, you know, do I understand the industry? And if I understand the industry, how big is it? And like, wh where's the disruption happening at this moment? So I'll be able to, you know, I look at, I look at ClearBank. Do you guys follow ClearCo? Do you guys? So I look at ClearCo. So my friend's the CEO of ClearCo. So I looked at it, she sat with me in the plane about, I don't know, two years ago before COVID. She was talking about these two businesses that she invested in. One was called Sheertex, if you know what Sheertex is. It's a hosiery company that doesn't rip, period. So she's the, she's a founder in that. To me, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. She's like, yeah, they're two hundred dollars. I'm like, I don't know what they are, but I would assume that you know it's a great <laughs> model because I think that's a huge problem, and this is a solution, whether it costs too much or you bring it down over time. But the other part was in the direct to consumer business. I'll tell you openly, you can't get funding. It's very tough to get funding. So if you if you if you have a business model that you're going to be selling something online and you have to put out of capital out of your out of pocket hundred thousand dollars to buy this 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 and this and you have a great turnover every month of, of sales, you go to the bank. I mean, I've never had a, I mean, I go to the bank like this, because I, I mean, the banks are, you, I mean, I don't know if this is gonna say it, the banks don't really help. They're not gonna really sit there and be like, ooh, we love your idea. You seem like, you know, there's a the positive thing. You know, we're gonna, just based on the fact that you, you know, we're gonna give you some money. It doesn't happen, but if you have a direct-to-consumer model, and you understand the model, and people are buying it, and you can show traction, ClearCo, offers you a financial solution. What they do, just to give you an assumption for you to understand, is that they'll actually, you know, if you do $100,000 a month, and they know that you do $1.2 million a year in sales, and they know that you can afford $10,000 a month in, in, in interest or however you do it, they'll lend you some money to buy your goods, and then they, they do all your payment processing every month and take away a piece every time before they remit the payment to you. So, it's an op so I look at it like when she told me the story, like, yeah, we're going to be doing this, this, this. I literally said to her word for word, sitting with her on the plane. I'm like, it's genius because no one does that. And if I was in that situation, thank God I wasn't. But if I was in that situation in my 30s and I needed to build a direct-to-consumer business, I'd be, all I would be doing is raising, 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 diluting, diluting, diluting. And where this one allows you to actually own it, you have to put seed in yourself. But once you get it to a point that's actually working, you don't have to dilute and sell to anybody else. You actually can get funds from a source in a different way than a normal bank. I'm saying that that just means disruption, or in in some way, like what what you know, some of the opportunities that are out there. In, yeah, uh, very cool. In the space, you know, very that are different cool. in direct to consumer. Go for it. Yeah. Um, when you're uh, reaching out to influencers and celebrities to represent your brand or your product or whatnot, what type of cost benefit analysis would you do there to determine? Um, the name value of what they bring 
and how much would you pay them uh, and uh, what revenue would they bring in that way? And I'm coming at it from a film production standpoint. Yeah. Talk about the details of your own experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I have... I have like a very, very unique approach on this. So I believe that if you actually go and you meet with a celebrity or an influencer or anybody and you tell them, oh my God, I love what you do. It's amazing. You know, I'd love to hire you or whatever. They just, everybody's just going to hold tight on price. So the angle I always use, this is like secret Rick 101, is <laughs> I always go in and I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, I love what you do. And I sort of tell them what I do in some way and be like, oh my God, how come you don't have your own brand or your own something? So I always come at it from the angle of like, how do I make you money? I'm not asking you to make me money. How do I make you money? Because once I make you money, then the authenticity will come out of it. It'll be pouring out of it once they realize how much money they can make with what we're doing to then bring them into a business that I'm doing, if that makes sense. So the paid influencer model is a really, unless you're a retailer, it's really tough to quantify. I have a friend of mine, I was just talking about it this morning um, with my brother, and uh, we have a, you know, an influencer in Montreal, she has 88,000 followers, not so big, but 80,000 followers, she has zero, zero return. You give her something, she posts it, you get zero sales, zero. Then you have another influencer who has, in this case you have like 100, 50? Then you have another one who has 50,000 followers, who, 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 if I do a deal with her, she'll do like uh, 40 grand this month. You know what I mean? So it's very hard. Everybody thinks that they're better. So I never like to pay in advance to understand what it is until I actually get some, some sort of quantified da data at the end. So, but I, I always go in myself and be like, this is what I do. I'd love to do something with you. I think you deserve to have your own brand. You know? So I come from a specific angle. And then once I, once I get them to understand what I'm doing, then I'm able to say, hey, why don't we, do? and then they'll, they'll want to do it with, they'll want to do it for you with enthusiasm. Because the pay-as-you-play model, it's a tough one. It's cost, unless you have, you know, a lot of money in the bank. Um, you know, I know the CEO of Boat Rocker. Do you know Boat Rocker? You should look into Boat Rocker. It's great, great. One of the largest production film companies in Toronto here. They just went public a few weeks ago. Great, great group. Do a lot of Netflix series, whatever. But they have a very similar methodology um, to what, uh, to, way I, to way I think as well. You know? Cool. Thanks. For sure. How did you, you know, when you started different ventures, how did you kind of figure out which one would be successful, which gut feeling to listen to? Were there kind of like trigger points throughout your career? And if so, how did you know something was a trigger point? I mean, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, luckily for me, I have a very close-knit family between myself and my kids. Um, so we talk about it all the time and the fact that they've been involved in my business since day one. It's about having people around you, I think, when you're talking about gut feeling, that you can actually like, do you know how many times, I'll tell you something, how many times I've like told someone, I'm like, I, I feel this idea, and they'll be like, yeah, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not too interested in it, or yeah, I don't think so. And I'd be like, oh, okay, and I'd walk away from it, to then hear a month later that that guy was like super jealous of the fact that I did this thing, or I could have done this deal. So I think it's really about having an inner circle. I think that really makes good sense, and being able to, 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 to test your gut feeling, because I can be like, I love this, 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 and this, and then like, my partner will call me and be like, I love this idea. And the guy's like, yeah, but let me tell you one thing. That like that doesn't work like that in a fashion, remember? I'm like, huh, you're right. But if I didn't have that open discussion with him to be able to discuss it as like part of my milieu of my inner circle, 
you really wouldn't get that sort of response back. So I think it's about bringing the right people around you that can either emphasize, de-emphasize, or make you feel in your gut feeling and help you read what your gut is. And you can ex be expressive to someone about what you're feeling in your gut for someone to help sort of navigate which way for you to go. I've made many times, there's a few gut feel, you know, many times I'm mad at myself for doing a deal or getting involved in something or investing in something and having a gut feeling. How many times I, someone's like, oh, this stock's gonna be amazing, it's $21, it's gonna be 50 bucks. I'm like, great, you know? Go ahead, put in 100 grand in, give it a shot, and it's, you know, $6, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah, your gut feeling was like, the operator was weird, like, that's no good, but, so, it's really about having a great, a great circle of people that you can talk to, like, close people that only want to see you succeed and only want to, together benefit from the success in some way to keep that, to keep that gut together. I don't know. That's, that, that's the sense. trust but verify gut model, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. He'll like say that. it better than me. I'll just say it. All right. I want to thank you so much oh, uh, for clicking. Any, any, any last thoughts you want to leave with the group uh, before we cut off? Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I always truly believe in the hustle. So even in today's day and age, people today are so calculating, they're always trying to figure out every little intricacy and make sure everything looks perfect on paper. Nothing looks perfect on paper. Nothing will look per perfect on paper. Learn from your peers, like learn from your teachers, learn from the environment around you, and just go with your gut and roll the dice because, and you know, try a mentorship in, in some way. Um, but go with your gut. If you feel that there's a good market, the only thing you can do is what? Is fail. Okay, what's gonna happen? Okay, pick up your socks and do it again. Like, so I believe as an entrepreneur, not everybody is meant to be an entrepreneur. There's people that work in companies, the people that work in businesses. I've personally never had a job in my life. I don't even know, I, don't, I think I'd be the worst employee personally. Um, but I think that as an entrepreneur, it's really just about rolling the dice and, and, and doing some sort of calculated, you know. Get out there and start get taking action, there. right? Get out there You'll and learn. talk to people, learn, ask questions. And if you feel you're not getting the right answer, you're asking the wrong person, keep figuring it out through the snakes and ladders. Life is, entrepreneur, an entrepreneur life, I tell you, is, 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 is snakes and ladders. You go up, you slide down, you figure out, there's no right or wrong. It's true. Love it. There's yeah. no right or wrong. So you just got to roll the dice and you can email me if you have any questions anytime. So <laughs> absolute pleasure. All right. Well, sure. thanks, Rick, for his time. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Super nice. Thanks, Eric. The Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Quantum Shift 2008 alum Connie Clarici and Closing the Gap Healthcare Group. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player or visit entrepreneurship.uwo.ca slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.